Hello, hello, and welcome back to Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Sweatman, and Happy New Year. It is now officially 2021. The terrible year that was 2020 is behind us, and the new year is shaping up to be... Well, it's been kind of rough already, but we don't have to talk about that. We are here to talk about movies. And movies were one of the few bright spots of 2020, in my opinion. And that's why season six of this podcast has been all about 2020 films. Even though the year has ended, we're going to keep going with 2020 movies until the end of awards season, all the way up to the Academy Awards on April 25th. And that's good because as many great movies as we've talked about already this season, there are so many more to get to. Over the next few weeks, we're planning to talk about the film Crip Camp. It's an award-winning documentary. A Portuguese film called Baccarau that I've heard great things about and haven't watched yet. A gorgeous animated film called Wolfwalkers, which I have seen and loved. Uh, And then a political documentary called Boy State. Beyond that, the plans are still being made. But today, we are talking about one of my favorites of 2020, First Cow. First Cow was directed by Kelly Reichert. If you're unfamiliar with Reichert's work, her films tend to be pretty minimal and kind of intimate dramas with just a few characters, uh, though the settings vary from modern times all the way to different eras of American history. So First Cow is set in pioneer days, and it focuses on a cook whose nickname is Cookie. Cookie makes friends with a Chinese immigrant named King Lu, and the two of them start selling the baked goods that Cookie creates. Uh, There's much more to the story than that, which we'll get into, but suffice it to say that this is a lovely film, and I found it very moving. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to tell you about a brand new segment on the podcast that starts today. As I continue to do this show, I've been exploring what it means to be a snob-free podcast, and how to tailor the show in a way that truly caters to everyone. I should start by talking about what I mean when I say snob. To me, there are a few ways that quote-unquote movie snobs communicate about film that can be harmful. One is discounting someone's opinion based on what they like or don't like. This is the person who makes fun of or belittles you for your movie opinions, like it's too commercial or too basic or you haven't seen enough great quote-unquote great movies or what have you. For example, someone like this might say that if you like Marvel movies, then you aren't a true cinephile. There are a lot of people who think and operate this way, and it's a very exclusionary view. I try to make sure this podcast is much more inclusive. Another thing I've noticed, and this one isn't always intentional, but it's that sometimes in a movie conversation, people will reference movies or directors with the assumption that you've seen or at least know about the thing that they're talking about. Sometimes these things can really add value to a conversation, but other times it can become a sort of name dropping to show off how much they know about cinema. And whether that's intentional or not, this can leave people out also. Well... We certainly reference a lot of different types of movies on this show, and I love it that way. I love having a variety of guests who bring a variety of opinions and film knowledge and bring in outside films when we're discussing something, and I think that's great. And I think it's typically done in a way on this show that adds to the conversation and isn't sort of, you know, quote-unquote snobby in the way it's said. 
but it is impossible to know what knowledge you as a listener are bringing to the show. In fact, if you don't know much about movies, you are exactly who this podcast is for. I want this podcast to be very educational, and if we go referencing some obscure Japanese director you've never heard of, you might become totally lost, and that's the last thing I want. I want film lovers of all experience levels to have a comfortable and educational listening experience with this podcast. Movies are for everyone, after all. So, that leads me to our new segment, which I'm calling the Snob Free Glossary. Basically, while I'm editing each podcast, I'll make note of anything we reference that might warrant some more explanation. And I'll put together a short explainer at the beginning of each episode in the Snob Free Glossary portion of the show. That way, if we reference a director you've never heard of, well, actually, you have heard of them because I just filled you in a few minutes ago at the beginning of the episode. So that's the plan. And with that, let's jump into the very first Arthouse Garage Snob Free Glossary. It's time for the Snob Free Glossary, the part of the show where we explain any films, filmmakers, or filmmaking terms that we reference in the episode that you might be unfamiliar with, so you have the context you need to fully appreciate the discussion. Here we go. In this episode, we talk a bit about a director named Robert Altman. He worked from the late 40s all the way up until his death in 2006. Altman is widely considered one of the greatest American filmmakers, and some of his best-known films include M.A.S.H., McCabe and Mrs. Miller, which comes up in the discussion today, The Long Goodbye, Nashville, and several others. Robert Altman is known for his naturalistic style, as well as having a strong satirical tone in many of his films. We also talk a bit about the film The French Connection, which is an action film from 1971. It was directed by William Friedkin, who also made The Exorcist and a handful of other films. But The French Connection is perhaps best known for its car chase scene, which is widely regarded as one of the best car chases of all time. At one point in the show, we throw out the term Italian neorealism. And this refers to an era of filmmaking after World War II in Italy that tended to be very realistic. These films told stories of everyday working class people and their struggles, and they often included non-professional actors, which added to the realistic style. Many of these films are about poverty and lower class living conditions, which reflected the reality at the time in post-war Italy, which was very bleak and defined by economic hardship for many people. So these films were shining a light on the issues these people were having, but they also had such a strong visual style and tone that this period influenced film for decades to come. Notable films from the neorealism era include Bicycle Thieves, which is one of my favorites, uh, as well as La Ventura, The Battle of Algiers, Journey to Italy, and many others. And I'll wrap up the glossary with a few rapid-fire filmmakers and terms. Here we go. Yasujiro Ozu was a Japanese director who worked from the 1920s to the 1960s. We did a podcast episode previously on his film, Tokyo Story. Andrei Tarkovsky is a Russian filmmaker who worked from the 60s to the 80s, and we did an episode on his film, Stalker, so you can check that out. Hirokazu Koreeda is an award-winning modern filmmaker from Japan. Uh, we've done podcasts on two of his films, actually, Shoplifters and The Truth. Uh, and then Michael Mann is someone who comes up briefly. He is an American filmmaker known for the show Miami Vice, uh, as well as the films Heat, Manhunter, and others. 
we reference a few films in this episode. The Revenant, that's a 2015 film by director Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu, follows a man uh, trying to survive the American wilderness in the early 1800s. Perhaps most notably, Leonardo DiCaprio won his first Oscar for the lead role in this movie. We also reference Ratatouille, that is a Pixar movie, if you've never heard of it. That's from 2007. Uh, It's about a rat that loves to cook, and it's great. And then we actually have a couple things from the world of literature. We mentioned William Blake. He is a poet, a significant English poet from the late 18th and early 19th centuries. He's responsible for works like Songs of Innocence and Experience, The Marriage of Heaven and Hell, and others. There's a quote from him in this movie, and we talk about that a little bit. And then we also mention Marcel Proust. He was an influential French writer from the early 1900s who wrote an enormous seven-part novel called In Search of Lost Time. And he comes up briefly in this episode as well. And I think that about covers it. This has been the first ever snob-free glossary. I would love feedback on this since it's a new thing. You can email me, andrew at arthousegarage.com or uh, hit me on social media. Do you love this? Do you hate it? Can I change it? What what do you think? I want to know what people think of this new podcast feature. All right, let's get into the episode. It is time to introduce today's guest. His name is Connor Allen Smith, and he is a very talented filmmaker and actor from Arkansas who I was delighted to meet at the 2020 Filmland Festival. He's directed a number of shorts through his independent film company, Prairie Creek Productions. I've seen three short films now from Prairie Creek, and I've been very impressed by all of them. Connor and I first connected over Instagram, and it was pretty quickly clear that we had similar taste in movies. And I knew he would be an excellent podcast guest, so I'm thrilled to have him here today on the show. Hello, Connor, and welcome to the podcast. Howdy. Happy to be here. Yeah. This, the, this is a technological void. Yeah, it's nice to... <laughs> Connecting over the yeah, distance. Yeah, exactly. You know? So I only have ever done a few episodes of this in person with people just because it's convenient. But, um, sure, sure. It, so I rolled right into quarantine <laughs> with, with the remote, the remote recording. But yeah, it's good to, you know digitally connect with you for sure uh well how have you yeah, been how's yeah. how's quarantine treating you i mean uh i i think it's cliche to say as good as like as good as it can be at this point yeah. but mm-hmm. it's very accurate you know it's that everything is so tempered right now um there's i mean obviously some excitement with the new year um yeah uh obviously some new administration is gonna be really cool <laughs> um <laughs> yes i agree <laughs> and, cool 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 everyone's cool here um yeah and i just yeah so I, i'm i'm looking forward to what this year but it doesn't um doesn't shake with a very real uh yeah parameters that we're living under and we have been living under so yeah it's so, so hopeful interesting. Skeptical. Yeah. yeah i was gonna say with a, with a podcast you know people might be listening to this months from now and it might be a very different oh, situation so, so hopefully <laughs> right now we're like <laughs> on the cusp of a vaccine and you know maybe down the road things are better but yes we're still Absolutely. kind of in the yeah. middle of it um but uh Absolutely. amazingly movies have been able to continue in a lot of ways even though it's been a challenge and that's something that uh, I know you've dealt with as a filmmaker. So I wanted to first, before we get into First Cow, let's talk about some mm-hmm. of your work. So I've seen three, uh, two, two films you've directed and then one you starred in. Uh, that is Phosphorescence, yeah. which I saw at uh, as part of Filmland this past summer. 
which was really impressive. Mm. I did a full review of that one in uh, on IGTV. People can find that. But I really uh, enjoyed that one. And then Fletcher is one that you starred in that um, that I really was impressed with too. Not only your work in mm. it, but just the film as a whole. Um, and mm-hmm. then just recently you shared with me uh, one called Self Portrait, which uh, is a as a nice little kind of mood piece very nice black and white like well edited uh yeah (laughs) thank you impressed by you know some of your 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 work that i've seen uh so what's the status of our phosphorescence and fletcher still doing uh festival runs what's what's the the latest on all those things yeah yeah so Fletcher. uh gosh that's the that's the celebrity (laughs) couple name for the two fletcher um no phosphorescence (laughs) and fletcher uh are, are both still kind of uh I say Phosphorescence is on the tail end of its festival run. Fletcher is kind of midway. Um, festivals are all uh, just like podcast and whole society adapting right now. So, yeah, yeah. Um, or, or we as a, like a little little team are kind of monitoring that and seeing seeing what's best and when to drop things and where to drop things because yeah. short films are this whole other weird medium where you, they don't they really aren't commodified, but they mm-hmm. they can be very they can be really beneficial beneficial for filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, like with self portrait, that was that was um, really meant to be kind of like a mood kind of poem or a time capsule mm-hmm. um, of kind of what me and my uh, my my romantic partner my my life partner are going through right now. Yeah, and so yeah, and so it's 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 kind of odd to kind of also be at the beginning of the, like my filmmaking career. And also have this happen during that yeah. that stage, and so sure, um, yeah. so they're they're all technically still in festival circulation, but also like everyone else, I feel like I am just trying to do the best thing uh, on a given day. Yeah, <laughs> and sure. uh, and the same for the same for the work as well. Yeah, well, yeah, again, it's it's great that filmmaking can continue even with some restrictions. And uh, mm-hmm. so, so you mentioned you have another project coming up as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is a project that was um, I'm I'm really excited about called Happy Birthday Jimmy, um, mm-hmm. and this is something uh, that is written by kind of our, our resident screenwriter um, Texas Smith, and uh, we have some really exciting actors that uh, I was in a conservatory with up here in uh, Chicago. Um, I guess for for context, I, I'm a very much an, an Arkansan uh, through and through. Grew up in uh, Northwest Arkansas, um, in the last couple of years just moved up to Chicago. Um, and uh, as as a transplant, but uh, but yeah, so some of these actors I met through that conservatory, uh, we really wanted to collaborate together, and this script came together, and it's it's right now kind of in an embryonic stage as we're waiting for it to be safe to do something a little bit larger, um, and with that, we're also like allowing it to kind of like live right now as like whether it's going to be a true short film or you know I've been watching. Uh, I mean, and not to, maybe this is a good segue, but like I've been watching a lot of Reichardt's films and a lot yeah. of Ozu and a lot of Tarkovsky, a lot of these slower cinema kind of uh, style of works. And I'm starting to think like, you know what? Like I was, I watched River of Grass this morning uh, for the first time. And that's just like a lovely 76 minute, like little, not quite feat. I mean, it is technically a feature, but I think of it like more as a featurette. Mm. And so I'm really excited that Happy Birthday, Jimmy, I think has, uh, the actors and the talent and also the um, the story uh, that it might be dabbling more into that featurette style hmm. to be this like kind of sprawling uh, family stories memory play um, about fa- like uh, family expectations and things like that. I don't, I don't know. I'm really excited. And so now I'm rambling. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, that sounds really interesting. And so there is a crowdfunding campaign for that as well. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So this project is actually fiscally sponsored by the independent film Alliance up here in Chicago. And so 
they uh, they went ahead and um, set up a give butter for us. Uh, so I think you're gonna put that link in the description. Yes, I'll share uh, that out. But yeah, thank you so much. Um, yeah, and so we're, we are crowdfunding for that, uh, and because it is a fiscal sponsorship, I, I will add um, because I, I, my producers will like this. <laughs> That's to say that that. The, the, all the donations are tax deductible uh, through oh, yeah. this uh, interface. Yeah, so donate as much as you can. We have some perks as well, like like a traditional like, Kickstarter or things like that, mm -hmm. um, on a, on top of like your donation being tax deductible. But uh, check that out. Uh, we have information on that on that link, and that also links to our website where you can find even more information about like the inspiration, a little more specific about the talent of Keisha Champagne and Kevin D'Ambrosio, the the actors we're working with. Um, yeah, and it's just anything you probably ever want to look at and uh, know about uh, before nice. it's a movie. Well, that's really cool. Uh, I'll definitely share that out, and I hope that you can get some support through this. And uh, you know, it's always great to support local artists and uh, tax Absolutely. deductible. You can't beat that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, especially right now. Well. I had a, actually a filmmaking question. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this. I hope this is okay. But um, so with a lot of short films, you know, there's only a handful of names in the credits, small crew, small production. Uh, mm -hmm. And I noticed on self-portrait, one of the things that you list as a credit is an intimacy coordinator. Uh, and this is something yeah. that I've just kind of learned about in the last year or so that this is even a job. Uh, so I was going to say, <laughs> if I can tell you my understanding of what that is, and you can tell me whether that's oh, yeah. right or not, because it's really a pretty cool thing. Well, so absolutely. Self-portrait is, it's a little sexy in a couple spots. And it's, <laughs> so my, my understanding is that intimacy coordinator is basically a third party that's there to make sure it's a safe space for all the performers that, that everyone's, you know, consenting and uh, comfortable with everything. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think of intimacy designers as a third party for sure. Um, in a lot of ways, I think of them as like as a choreographer the same way like you'd have a choreography for like a, a piece of uh, movement. Uh, yeah, essentially a movement like more traditionally for dance, but yeah. uh, the same way with the intimacy for this, like they, like, it's just choreographed. And uh, I brought on a, a, a friend and a collaborator, Joel Mendoza, mm -hmm. and um, basically just gave her the keys to this little <laughs> quote unquote sexy section yeah. um, and allowed her to graph it out. And uh, just having a third party, I think really allows, uh, yeah, to, just to make sure this, this, uh, the space is safe. And, um, and to your, to, to your note, I think it is a fairly new thing within the, mm -hmm. the film world. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's much delayed uh, or yeah. and much needed. Um, and it's like, for me, it's actually something that I, I first learned about um, in the theater community up here in Chicago. Because mm -hmm. um, I, I came up here to kind of, one of the reasons I, I left Arkansas at least for a little bit uh, was to be, participate in the, the improv and the, the theater community up here in Chicago. Um, and essentially for every uh, like storefront uh, thing that has, production that has intimacy in it, you'll find a coordinator. Mm -hmm. um, so it was really important for me to, take that and bring it over into my film work yeah. um and then even with like shooting uh, during like our current parameters so like i think like at the point when we filmed a couple months ago um we were allowed to have six people on set or that's what i felt comfortable with as a director mm -hmm. um with with distancing and everything and so it was very much a skeletons crew with everybody wearing lots of hats but it was very important to me that like one of those people was an intimacy coordinator mm -hmm. to just be that yeah. Be that hall monitor, be that safe space, um, and an advocate for everybody. Well, that I think that's great. I really applaud that. When I first yeah learned about what this this position entitles, I uh, my thought was, well, this is great, but I'm I'm afraid that so many low budget things aren't going to be able to afford to to do that. So I think prioritizing sure. that is really 
Yeah, admirable. So that, I think that's really cool. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, I mean, it's all the indie stuff. It's, it really is just figuring out like what's important and I, and what mm-hmm. uh, why I'm so excited to talk about this movie and, and Kelly's work in general. I think she is a great um, role model for a lot of independent filmmakers to, to for us to like value what's important um, because I think there's been like it's very like an American indie specifically like there's like this like. I don't know, like, like I think of a French connection, like with that really dangerous car chase scene. That's mm. really cool um, visually, <laughs> but like for uh, um, uh, what, uh, Freakin, oh my gosh, mm, yeah. just blanked on Freakin's <laughs> name. Um, Freakin has talked about how he is lucky that no one died, um, which is like, a va- like I love cinema, it like, is my life, but I don't know if it is, uh, it, it, it's, well, I know it, it's not worth someone losing their life to make something, yeah. period. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so safety measurements are very important, obviously. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that is, a, I think, a perfect segue into talking about uh, First Cow. So, uh, without further ado, let's talk about First Cow. What's your name? King Lou. They call me Cookie. My mother died when I was born, and then my father died. I never stopped moving. It's the getting started that's the puzzle. No way for a poor man to start. You have a cow. First cow in the territory. Same place for cows. Well, it's no place for a white man either. I sense opportunity here. All right, let's talk about First Cow. So as Connor mentioned, this is directed by Kelly Riker, who has a handful of titles she's directed now. And I think this is a really strong film. Basically, this tells a story. Uh, it's kind of pioneer days um, of uh, a guy named Cookie. It's his nickname. He's a cook. And mm-hmm. um, trying to kind of make his way and, uh, and find his place in this unusual world that is set up really well. And through the course of the film, makes good friends with uh, a man named King Lou, and they begin. They start a small business, basically. Um, he he is <laughs> baking or frying these uh, these oily cakes and selling them, uh, and they sell like hotcakes if that's a terrible pun but um they sell really well and how many uh, points nonetheless there you go the uh the twist is that they are stealing the milk that is a secret ingredient uh from the first cow that's in the territory um and it kind of gets complicated when uh, the owner of this cow who again doesn't know they're using his milk uh becomes involved in their lives and uh, that's kind of the basic framework of the story it's about more than that, and we're going to get into a lot of those things. But uh, I just wanted to see, first of all, Connor, what was your kind of overall impression? What did you think of this movie? Yeah, I mean, I uh, fell in love with it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, a little bit of a spoiler. This is one of my favorite films from 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really excited. Well, when you reached out to talk about this on the slate, it immediately jumped out at me. Yeah. And so I, I, I love this film. Um, and I was relatively kind of a newcomer to Kelly's work. Uh I had seen Meek's Cutoff. Uh, I want to say it was right before I moved to Chicago, actually. So I can tell you it was 2016. Um, and I think I was a little too young for it uh, at the time. Like I, I 
kind of got what was going on, um, but I couldn't parse out exactly what 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 made it special. Mm. And so I really I'm excited to revisit that. But I watched First Cow and I took this this recording as an opportunity to kind of go back and watch the rest of her films that I hadn't seen. So watched River of Grass. I watched Wendy and Lucy and uh, Old, uh, Old Joy. And yeah, I just I, I've really kind of fallen in love with her work. And this movie, I think, is really special um, for a lot of different reasons, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Uh, but I'll just start with that. I, my thesis is lovely movie. Yeah, I completely agree. It's also in my top 10 of the year. I uh, can't remember what number. Those numbers are arbitrary, but I really, really sure, like yeah. this movie too. And uh, <laughs> um, so I've said this kind of thing before in the podcast, but generally my guests are bring all the, the great information and I, I just hopefully am a conduit because you're going to be more <laughs> informed on record than I am. I've seen Meek's Cut Off oh, as well. Cool. And actually cool. I, I probably is in a similar way. I saw it about four or five years ago and I, I feel like I need to revisit it. I definitely sensed uh, mm -hmm. that she was a gifted filmmaker from it and, and had some interesting discussions around it. But uh, since learned that people really love that movie more than I realized, so I, I want to go back and watch it again. Uh, but then with yeah. all the buzz around this, I, I really connected with First Cow. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so I'm, I'm a big fan of this also. I think for me, so it's, we kind of laid out the plot I think for me, the, the mm -hmm. kind of the emotional core of this is really a story about friendship. And, and she kind of puts Absolutely. it right at the surface. It opens up with this uh, quote from a, a William Blake poem uh, that says, the bird a nest, the spider a web, man friendship. And so it, it's just from the beginning that's on your mind of um, th these relationships are, are like a basic human thing that we need to connect with people. And, and that's actually a, a cool message for living in quarantine uh and and absolutely you know we're all feeling the need for human connection and um uh, so maybe that's part of why i connected this movie so so well but yeah i i really think this movie was like it i i, I think it is kind of a masterpiece but i think it has an even wider kind of net right now because of the times we're living in mm -hmm. i think it is i heard uh or i read fran hoffner is a critic i like and she referred to this movie as like tinder core um <laughs> And it's just such a it's such a tender movie, and I think it really does uh, meet audiences. Like we're all so vulnerable right now, and all so fragile. Uh, no matter who you are, um, it can manifest in different ways. But I think this movie is a great kind of like just thing to like make you sit down and like like you mentioned, the plot's very simple, um, but there's a tenderness to the tone um, mm -hmm. in this film and all of Kelly's films. It's it's something I love about, I know I've mentioned this to you, Coriata and his work that mm -hmm. that I love, um, that I definitely see uh, here as well, that just, it's like a warm hug. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah this is the, the friendship between Cookie and King Lou. It it happens really organically, but it also is yeah. it's so uh, compelling and, and you just feel how tied together they are and i think a lot of that is their character the characters of both of these men in in the context that they're in and and i think it's well like you're saying it's a, a little disarming for it to be so tender because i know it's a pioneer story if you come in expecting sure, like sure. <laughs> the revenant or something you're going to be way way oh off um, but yeah it is uh yeah it's, it's it's i think cookie in particular he they're kind of they're in this this toxically masculine world basically that's mm -hmm. that's set up really well from the very beginning he's in this company of men and he's their cook and they're all 
fighting and uh, very <laughs> um, uh, just vulgar and, and primal. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Primal. Yeah, and you know they, they're succeeding in the wilderness, so like I don't want to completely discount them, but they uh, sure, sure. you immediately notice Cookie's got this gentle demeanor, and he's just incredibly kind, and he's it's it's in the performance, uh, but it's in the script too, mm-hmm. and it just it's that comes across so strongly that when you uh, first see the connection between him and King Lou, when they first meet, um, right. Really actually that second meeting, I think. So they meet once and he helps him, but mm-hmm. then they meet again at, at this tavern and, um, yeah, very much like a good Samaritan kind of thing to start. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Too. So right in that opening, he, King Lou basically is, uh, has fallen on hard times. He's like running for his yeah. life, has no clothes, no yeah. food, nothing. And cookie against, and the his better judgment maybe or against the wishes of his uh his fellow travelers for for sure uh takes this mm-hmm. man in and secret and and helps him yeah so from the beginning you see that his his kindness not just in his demeanor but in his actions too and i think that's pretty cool yeah absolutely yeah and i think that's kind of what uh, maybe what i'm getting at or like that's a that's a good example of what i'm getting at it, it this movie is all about kind of um at least in the the tone of it is about helping one another, which is why I think it's like so pertinent for right now. Um, you mentioned the the revenant. This is really the antithesis of the <laughs> revenant. Um, yeah, and and then the other movie that like honestly I can't not not compare it to. Um, I think this is just by sheer proximity. But like Tenet that recently came out. Have you have you yes, have you have experienced Tenet, yeah. the Tenet? <laughs> I have. Yes. Um, yeah, because that movie when you I think you distill it all down. My my uh, my good uh, friend and uh, very funny Twitter account. Uh, uh, <laughs> he's a critic as well. Ben K uh, texted me and he said it's actually about the friends that you meet along the way. <laughs> and it's like, oh my really gosh, that, that, that's what Tenet is. And it's like I can't not compare First Cow and Tenet as mm. these like polar opposites of this yeah. very narrative of uh, friendship. Um, yeah, and what that like what that looks like. That's very interesting. Wow. I, I saw Tenet. Uh, it's been a few months. I was able to go to like a, an sure. empty theater and watch it. <laughs> and, okay. uh, <laughs> now I need to watch it again. But uh, anyway, yeah, I, I think that's a that's a great comparison uh, to 2020 films about friendship. Uh, speaking of Cookie and his his demeanor, it's, it's clear to other characters in the film, too, uh, which is it's kind of funny in a couple of spots where they're in that tavern mm-hmm. and uh, these two other men in the room get in a fight and they're going to go outside and, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and take it out on each other. And one of them has a baby. And he says, hey, yeah. you watch the baby. Like he just consents <laughs> that uh, Cookie's the the one guy in here who's not going to go fight and he can babysit for me. <laughs> this total exactly, stranger. he smells yeah. it on the yeah. person. Yeah, exactly. yeah, and, and I think that's a great point of, um, or a great thing, or great segue to like the sense of humor to this film. Because mm-hmm. I think you can think of it like as like, something pretty slow or like something bare bones because it is a minimalist film. But I think there's definitely an undercurrent of humor between um that, that both Lou and Cookie have mm-hmm. um, that makes them more personable and makes their friendship, I think, all the more organic. Because I think there's so much truth in the reality of like, um, and like there's that initial awkwardness when you're meeting somebody. And then like once you're able to like make jokes with them or tell them jokes, mm, yeah. um, like there's like this, this, this intimacy that you share um, that you're willing to like try and tell a joke and maybe not be funny in front of them um yeah. and that's it's like it's something cookie does throughout the movie he has these little jokes um that he says mm-hmm. and it really it, they i don't know they, they make him so um so endearing <laughs> yeah absolutely it's like that's a way to be vulnerable and uh and they're they're i mean like dad jokes basically they're like pretty yeah cheesy. oh gosh they're so bad <laughs> that's, they're they underscore that connection for sure that's a good point 
speaking of the humor, one of the funniest moments for me, and it's it's mm-hmm. not like a funny haha kind of joke. It's just uh, something that Cookie does that just made me smile. <laughs> and it's whenever they um, go to take the milk for the first time and every yeah. subsequent time. So he puts King Lou goes up in the tree to be a lookout and he sits mm-hmm. down and he's like basically alone with this cow and he talks to it and makes conversation. And, and yeah. in a way that's, it, it is really funny, but it also is again, really endearing because he just clearly is, has such a, a caring nature. And he, he, mm-hmm. he has heard people talking about this cow because it's like all the rage, like this big news that this cow is in the area. And yeah, he also it is heard... the first cow to the region. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And one of the things he hears is that um, there were, there was a family of cows, but this is the only one that survived. And mm-hmm. he, so the first thing he says to this cow is like, I heard about your husband that's terrible <laughs> like and it's it's yeah it is it's so funny but it's so sweet too because he he's so genuine with it in the performance and uh, he just makes conversation with this cow every time he's taking the milk and uh yeah it's just a really sweet sweet and funny thing do you love art house movies and blockbusters do you get excited about the power of cinema and you want more people to watch more movies perfect Tell the world right from your t-shirt with some official Art House Garage merch. We've got shirts declaring movies are for everyone. We've got comfy beanie hats with the Art House Garage logo. And we've even got clothing that encourages people to watch weird movies or watch old movies. Who knows, maybe someone will see your t-shirt that says watch old movies and be inspired to go home and watch Citizen Kane for the first time. Get all your Art House Garage gear today and show your support by going to arthousegarage.com slash shop. Yeah, the, the, the term I kept thinking of when I was thinking about when I think about this movie is sympathetic like imagination. Mm-hmm. And I've, I, I don't actually know the origin of that, but I've heard it thrown around and I, I think I know what it means. Uh, but what, what, does anybody know any words anyway? Um, <laughs> but like I've heard it like associated with like Jonathan Demme's films and like there's like, Obviously, and especially with films today, like with Tenet or The Revenant or et cetera, like there's such a cynicism or um, if there isn't a cynicism, there's like a like a level of like meta to like, I don't know, distance people from like mm-hmm. being vulnerable. Um, but like it, I think it's really powerful when a director or a writer or actors make the, make the creative choice to be sympathetic or empathetic with their work. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's so powerful. And and. and it's so, um, I don't know, I get excited when I see things like that. So, yeah, so that, that's one reason I love this movie so much is that sympathetic like, imagination. And I, I don't think it's just for Cookie and Lou. I think what's great about Kelly's work, too, is, like, essentially every character is a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, even, like, kind of the quote-unquote villains. And I know it's every yeah. person. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, like, yeah. but even, like, the, the side characters, like, there's, like, this really lovely shot of a man holding a little, like, is it, like, a chick, like, a baby chick or a baby duck? Yeah, I think it's a duck. Um, yeah, yeah. I think you're yeah. About. He like he like holds this like tiny piece of life. He looks he looks kind of like a very rough kind of rugged man, mm-hmm. and like he doesn't have like pretty much any other lines. He might have one, but he's just like part of the community. And like the movie takes a second to like just look at this man cradling and like admiring this tiny duckling for like several seconds, and like uh, uh, and like for for like a, a duration yeah. of time, and, and for it like no, apparently like, no other reason. Yeah. No, yeah, it, it, I think, yeah, it just, like, creates a sense of, like, I didn't think there was some world building to it. Like, mm-hmm. uh, she does, like, do world building very savvily, like, through characters through this because the, the 
I, I, I imagine like the set was pretty small in actuality and just kind of um, kind of sparse. Um, but I also think visually that like is beautiful for yeah. this uh, like like this um, pioneer style story. Mm-hmm. But I also think like it's just like very savvy storytelling as well. Like it like it like shows you the community through the people mm-hmm. and every single person in that community has something that they're tender to or like mm-hmm. tender towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, another kind of a little aside that I, I just noticed as a, a good filmmaking choice is, um, and this maybe gets into the diversity of the the area too. So it's mm-hmm. it, it sets up really well that um, everyone, basically almost everyone here is from somewhere else. And this interesting historical Absolutely. moment, you can almost see, you know, if if she wanted to make a story about friendship and, and something historical. And I was like, well, when can I have a time when there's going to be a, a Chinese immigrant and a, uh, it, all these different variety of people in one spot. And like this pioneer time is the perfect time. And they, they, mm-hmm. they discuss that and how, uh, there's one funny line in that, in that bar scene where, um, <laughs> someone says this, this is not a place for cows. God would have put cows here if it was. And then somebody replies, <laughs> well, then it's no place for the white man either or something like that. Like, yeah. N- none yeah. of us really belong here. Like this is, um, Oh yeah. 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 I thought that was there, Yeah. There's, I think there's two great things I want to touch on right, with that. Um, first of all, like I, I love this period and like, uh, um, in American history, uh, and especially like through cinema, I think there's like some really special work with this. And then I think the obvious or an obvious, um, like spiritual cousin to it is Robert Altman's McCabe and Mrs. Miller, mm. um, which is like another kind of Northwestern style Western, same period of time of like development. Um, and I, I listened, the Criterion has a lovely uh, Blu-ray of that. And on the commentary track for that, Altman talks about how like he wanted all the actors to talk differently because mm, like yeah. there was no homogeneity at that point, uh, which is why I'm like so excited about that time is like, it was like so rugged and mm. not just like, not just terrain, but, but the people too. And yeah. like everyone was like learning and coming from somewhere else. And it was like this, like so much potential was there. And obviously now we, we've seen it kind of the, the, the homogeneity of America's yeah. <laughs> et cetera. Um, but like there was such like, there's such a beautiful, beautiful like sense of kind of like right now, like, like hope and like opportunity. Yeah. Uh, it really is the dream for so many different people coming together and having the opportunity to uh, to succeed where they, they couldn't in the past or, or where they were for various reasons. Um, yeah, and, and that that also brings me because we kind of got that's a perfect segue into the second yeah. point of like sure, yeah. like politics a little bit. I, I watched um, also Criterion Channel. This is <laughs> not not in, not sponsored, but free plug. Um, we end up talking uh, about Criterion a lot on this podcast. So maybe I should just reach you know, out for for sponsorship at this thing. point. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 a good asset for everyone. But it's also <laughs> I think important to say that it's not the only asset. And yes. I think everyone for every movie you watch on Criterion, you should watch Fast Five or something. <laughs> you know, to, and this is a snob free podcast. I but like, like that important a lot. Like, I really like. Yeah. That. thank you for saying that. Uh, yeah my, my pleasure <laughs> I, I because i love you know i love fast and furious and i love uh i love tarkovsky solaris and it's, those go. things aren't actually exclusive yeah. um uh oh but but uh, but one of the assets to the channel is they had this interview with kelly i think it was like the 10-year anniversary of Oscillix, oscilloscope who's released mm-hmm. a lot of her films and she talked about how her and her regular because uh, most of her films are written or co-written with uh, Jonathan Raymond, I believe is his name, who is a short storyist um, from Portland. And she talked about how they're both very political people, but they don't want their works to be like propaganda or like overtly pol- like political. So it's like 
so they talk about those things in like kind of the ideation stage mm. but like once they get to the script level like they're not intentionally trying to like make a political statement through their art mm. uh, what they're doing is like they're trying to like let it breathe in and she admits that like it's it's definitely a theme like a kind of a counter anti-capitalist theme throughout all of her work but like there's the or and i don't know if it's entirely anti but like these like commentaries of capitalism yeah. of like uh, something that like really stuck out with me in this film is like the, the line of like, in order to like make something happen, you either need a miracle or a um, to commit a crime. That's like a, mm-hmm. that's a paraphrase of one of Lou's line. Mm-hmm. And a, a line that stuck out for me from her film Wendy and Lucy is there's this um, uh, this uh, security guard who says that uh, you need an address to get an address and you need a phone number to get a phone number. Mm-hmm. And just kind of talking to the catch twenty two of America of capitalism that like you have to have something to to develop something, which is a yeah. really acute and uh, tragic uh, observation. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I, I, Winnie and Lucy is on my list. I, have, I again haven't seen that, but um, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think it, it's it, in, in this film at least it, it shows it kind of shows their whole process of like starting a small business kind of, and then uh, <laughs> yeah. you you see the, the pitfalls and the struggles. And I think that's only going to mm-hmm. kind of bring empathy for for audiences to. Uh, I don't know, think about the small businesses in your life, maybe. And of course, it's yeah. a different context. But I think that those those kind of questioning capitalist systems is something that uh, is a bit timeless in America. Uh, and it's interesting Absolutely. that it's right here at the beginning, like early stages of our country. And here we are today with a lot of the same same issues. But yeah, that's really Absolutely. interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I like what you said about the kind of the diversity of accents too, because we do, we have this, this strong Scottish accent and then we have this uh, <laughs> Chinese immigrant and then you have all these different people. And so in a way, everyone's kind of an outsider. Um, and yeah, absolutely. And, and I think one thing that I liked about that, there was a line that King Lou said, he, and he's actually, I can't remember exactly his background, but he's been displaced from his home and traveled a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's explaining some, some belief of his people to, to uh cookie and cookie says do you really believe that and king lou says uh i believe different things in different places and yeah yeah that was a really interesting line and one that i had uh, that ran down in my notes too kind of, it's kind a, of it's struck a, a chord yeah cause i'm just thinking about how people change and grow and how um your setting does affect you and uh, I, I don't know it just uh thought that was an interesting interesting thing and, and king lou's character is just fascinating that i think part of the the friendship aspect of this is that they kind of need each other to to build what they build in this uh mm-hmm. this selling of the hot cakes or the the oily cakes because mm-hmm. cookie obviously brings the the he has a, a background as a baker and he also clearly has a love for it and he's just sitting around like you know i could make something really delicious and then king lou has this this businessman kind of drive and he's like you know we could sell that mm-hmm. and i think they wouldn't have he's got the vision yeah, yeah exactly and it, he he brings that side of it and it just shows that again in a really kind of organic and um a way that just seems to flow naturally from from their relationship i think that's that's an interesting part of that yeah and i think yeah when they're there i mean obviously we can't talk about this movie without talking about and we, we've we've talked about it a bit but like their relationship and like their their rapport is like mm. it, it's 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 the whole meat of this this movie yeah. and i mm. and i was trying to think of it last night of like because my, my partner um alexis like she's talks like she's talked about like whenever she directs her her first film or whatever or like what when she when we sometimes talk about like projects that we want to like dream like she's really fascinated um with 
like male uh, and masculine relationships. Um, and like, like one of her favorite movies or one of her comfort watches is I Love You, Man, uh, yeah, which is like just kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. And so some of it, I mean, it's a, it's an aughts kind of comedy. So some sure. of it is a little dated, but, yeah, uh, for sure. <laughs> uh, but, but like at the core of that is again, just like this, like really lovely relationship, but of two men being vulnerable with each other. Yeah. And it's something that I don't think we see all too often mm-hmm. in films. Like we see, like, obviously, uh, we obviously see a lot of uh, male representation in cinema, but they all act kind of, it's all, a lot of it is from that John Wayne kind of mm-hmm. paradigm of like masculinity yeah. is. Um, and I really love that here we essentially have, I like, I've heard the term like brom-com, like for like, for, like a bromance romantic yeah, yeah. comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really think, like, at the end of the day, this is, like, just a romantic comedy, kind of. Uh, like, 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 taking the gender away from it. Like, there's just, like, this yeah. romance between them. Um, that do- it doesn't need to be sexual. Maybe it right. would be. I don't know. It doesn't yeah. matter. Um, yeah, I think but, if like, someone, just, like, read that into this, I wouldn't be mad about it. But, um, no, yeah. yeah, I didn't but there's see that. But there's yeah, this, mm-hmm. this romance to it. And, like, and there is, like, this, like, light, light, light comedy that just simmers. Like, and I don't know, like, the, the, the way the intimacy, like, uh, simmers throughout it, I think is just so, so beautiful. Yeah, I, I agree. And it, it, it does, it kind of follows a romantic comedy structure a little bit in that, you know, they meet, yeah. they they have a meet cute sort of. Exactly. They, Absolutely. they uh, kind of grow together and then something happens towards the end, which I think we can say spoiler free, uh, but something happens and it kind of drives mm-hmm. them apart and will they get back together? And, and that's, yeah. that's a lot of the... The drive of this i think that's that's really interesting well um, i think right. that's a great segue into the device of uh and not to, this is your podcast no, sorry ahead, I, i'm ahead, just ahead. so excited but the, but the framing device of the whole thing um it's kind of like a spoiler free movie because of the way the movie starts i don't know if you want to talk about yeah, that i did want to talk about that opening it, it's interesting because it mm-hmm. and i didn't expect this but it opens on something happening in modern day uh someone mm-hmm. uh walking their dog by a river and you see a, a boat that clearly is not from that period and just the sound design actually too you can kind of hear the modern bustle mm-hmm. and that fades away once we do move to the back in time but it, um if someone comes across two skeletons uh, it kind of, kind of digs mm-hmm. them up and is like oh my gosh what's going on and then it cuts to uh meeting cookie for the first time and so again it's not exactly clear but it's like well i think i know where this is headed um exactly but <laughs> but, but i think it's such an interesting way to uh to open the film because in one sense it it ties it to to our modern time like in it literally you you're mm-hmm. immediately <laughs> you know in your current setting like where you are watching this mm-hmm. movie and then you jump back and so there's a familiarity there and you notice the difference like i said with the sound design with like it just feels different mm-hmm. when it's not modern which is a nice filmmaking thing like she just does a good job with that but then also um, it, it, it the, what what's constant between these two things is the landscape, and I think that Kelly Reichert, uh, at least in Meek's cutoff, like the landscapes and nature is a a big part of the story, and that that seems to be true here too, where mm-hmm. um, it, it's a little bit about like man versus not man versus nature, but man's relationship <laughs> with with the land, and that that kind of gets back exactly. to that same I believe different things in different places, and how uh, place is so important for for people and community and that, and that sort of thing. So yeah, I thought that was an interesting uh, thing. Did you have any thoughts about that, that opening? Yeah, no, uh, just to say that I love it. I mean, I am a big fan of, I believe it's Alia Sh- uh, Shakat. Um, yes, yeah, she's like so. maybe, maybe from um, Arrested Development. <laughs> yeah, so I like, I maybe <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I, I mean, obviously I love her work in Arrested Development um, way back in the day. Um, 
And so, I, and at that point, I haven't I hadn't seen any of other Wright Cart's films when I watched this, or besides Meek's Cutoff. Um, so I was surprised to like see her and like, oh, oh, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and yeah, so I, I, it wasn't what I was expecting at all for the movie. And mm-hmm. um, but at, but at the end of the day, narratively, I think like I said, it, it kind of makes the movie spoiler proof because it like tells you that two people are going to get together and they're going to die together. Um, and like that's. I, yeah, I think that's just a really great way of, and I also think it like, not in the same way that like to, to evoke a Nolan again, <laughs> not in the like not in the way that like you have the top spinning at the end of Inception, but mm-hmm. I think that does leave up some ambiguity to the story mm-hmm. of like whether like this is Cookie and Lou's actual story or whether this is like what uh, Alia's character mm-hmm. who I, I forget what she's credited as, but like just as I think it's like Woman like Walker or something. or something like that. Woman yeah. with dog, exactly. Think, yeah. yeah. So maybe this is a story. Woman with dog, like fabricates Cooked like out. as she sees mm-hmm. these, these these skeletons together um or whether it's somewhere in between i, I don't know um and i don't think i need to know and i don't know if kelly knows or anybody like if there's like a capital a answer but i think it's like a really uh beautiful kind of leads to the poeticism of the whole thing yeah, yeah. That, that's a that's great i didn't consider that but that makes a lot of sense i think that's an interesting interesting reading of it i think earlier i referenced you know a, a small aside i never got to it because i got distracted but um it was it, <laughs> kind of on the lines of how essentially everyone's an immigrant in this situation except for the native americans which there are a few mm-hmm. native native characters and um there's they don't have a huge role in this film uh, but if there's actually they do in meek's cutoff actually there's a, a lot of native american stuff going on there so whatever that's worth but there is a really nice moment that i think it, it's a world building thing like you mentioned um when they are at oh, yeah. the the um the captain's house I can't remember his title but they all leave to go outside and see the cow and it just leaves these two native women who are servants or something like that. I'm not sure they, they stay in the house when everyone leaves mm-hmm. and the camera just lingers on them, like sitting down and they kind of let their guards down. And like, I think they even hold hands and like, now we can like have, have a moment of girl talk and like, yeah, it's just a, such a sweet little giggle. moment. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's like, again, not, not hugely relevant to the plot, but a really nice kind of humanistic little moment there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, everything, like, when you tell an American story, like, it is, like, if you, it, it, the Native American kind of, or, like, story is baked into America, and, like, so any story you tell, like, it is there, it's whether you omit it or you acknowledge it, and I think Kelly does a really good job of uh, kind of weaving it into her narratives uh, organically. Um, you mentioned Meek's Cutoff, I know, and actually, this is the one that is left on my to-watch list, is uh, is certain is her film Certain Women, mm-hmm. Um and I know one of the women you you mentioned and that is actually Lily Gladstone, who is like one of the, the main actors of certain women. Um, and so it's cool to see her bring her back and like continue to give her work and like give it's, it's, it's just a really cool kind of uh, like company thing to see as Kelly like develops. Cause I know like she also like has like the, the musician will old him like pops up in a lot of her movies. And I believe he even did the score or like did some music for this, for this oh, one as well. Wow. Um, I believe so. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm making that up though. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, but I think it's just really interesting. And like, I guess where I'm going with this is I love the choice. Uh, something I'm really excited about also with filmmakers is when they make the choice not to subtitle um, mm-hmm. like foreign uh, language. Um, because a lot, because I mean, sometimes there's exposition that needs to be picked up on, but a lot of it you can just, like, you can just kind of infer from context. And I think 
subtitling my, my background's in anthropology so I can, I can ramble about this for a while um but i think there, there's something kind of inherently um kind of colonial about subtitling like saying like this is another language like that yeah, you have to know saying there's like this level of translation that mm-hmm. um that is that that, that that there's like a power dynamic there yeah. and so by not subtitling it like there is like no Obviously, the the movie is mostly in English, uh, so it's tilted. But there is like this like level of uh, of uh, quality there, which I really I really like, um, because we don't know we don't need to know exactly uh, what the uh, the Native Americans are saying, um, but like we we get the, we get it from the context clues and we get it from the the performance and everything that's going on. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, that's that's super interesting, uh, and that's a that's a great point about subtitling. And to, to parse that out a little bit, I guess it's what you're saying is that. Um, in that view, you know, if you're having, you know, English is the quote unquote normal way to speak. And so then we have mm-hmm. to explain everything else to, to our viewers, but uh, this is a little bit more of a, um, uh, maybe humanistic way of, uh, of, of seeing that. That's, that's really interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, so speaking of native Americans and Meeks cut off that, that is one. So again, these are the only two films of hers I've seen, but one connection mm-hmm. there, I think is that, in that movie, I remember having a sense of kind of connecting across barriers, whether that's cultural barriers or, mm-hmm. um, uh, and maybe looking at like time barriers. So that's what, where we have this modern opening and going back in time. And maybe this, this woman with dog is kind of connecting with these peoples, even if it's like you're saying, maybe not even their true story, but, um, yeah. but in, in Meeks cut off, there are, uh, there, there's sort of friendships across cultural divides and i think that too is one of the strongest things about this uh and that that cookie and king lou are from such different backgrounds and they talk about their backgrounds and mm-hmm. that's i think that's an interesting thing too is that they uh, i think they both have moments but especially king lou of talking about you know their people where they came from and even talking about mm-hmm. the racial biases and the things that their people that's common in their um their cultural background but they clearly don't share and i with with most mm-hmm. of the people from that background. I thought that was an interesting, yeah. it's an interesting quality in the two of them. But I think there's, there is something about just making a connection with someone who's really different than you. And there's just something special about that. And, and this really captures that well. Yeah. And no, I was about to say, I, th- I think that just is another instance of how well the, like the politics of this uh, is woven in. It's like, mm-hmm. it's just so lived in and it's so character based that it doesn't feel like uh, this, this, this PSA. Um, but it's like these characters very much are not like, um, uh, are not all capital W white. And mm-hmm. like, they, like they are experiencing their own kind of uh, struggles and like this expansion time. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's just a really interesting uh, piece of humanity. I feel like we keep using uh, the word humanism, but like, I feel like that, that, that's what this film is, is it's, it's a lot of humanism. Um, and I think uh, something I, I wanted to the note is, which I think we've kind of been talking around some of the, the elongated shots um, kind of like, Italian neorealism, like how we like hang on certain characters for mm-hmm. a little bit longer, um, whether it's uh, the workers in the house or that little <laughs> my favorite character with the duck. Yeah. Um, I, I think that maybe is in part because uh, to like this, I, I believe is the first film she shot digitally. Um, oh, everything else has been celluloid, and this also is the longest film she's done by about. I think Meek's cutoff is like one forty-five. Everything before this is like it's like somewhere between 70 to like 90 minutes usually. Mm-hmm. And this is a, this is a healthy two hour film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of like, I think there's a, like, I don't know. I, I would be really interested to ask Kelly uh, about like if the decision to shoot digitally was 
done beforehand or like after like they developed the script like realizing it was the best thing or like when a24 like said they would produce this like mm-hmm. or distribute this um yeah like that was like a decision caveat or clause mm-hmm. yeah because i i think there are longer takes in this film than some of her other work uh like there's that additional atmosphere um there's a lot of low light um which like i, I don't know I, I i think i'm very much from the school of thought like I definitely think cellular is romantic, but I don't think it is like, I think, I think you can make a capital F film with yeah. like with digitally, mm-hmm. like, um, like Mike, like Miami vice, Michael Mann's film. That's, that's mm-hmm. gorgeous. And digital and like, um, et cetera. And like yeah. so many other examples, and obviously this is digital. Um, yeah. but, but, uh, so, so for me, it's like very much like which, which key is right for right lock. What, uh, was the right key for the right lock. Mm-hmm. And so when shooting, um, like low light situations, digital is by far uh, like a better option because you just need so much light for celluloid to be exposed mm. or for the negative to get uh, the correct exposure. And so I think there's a lot of this film that takes place in, at nighttime, obviously, because um, of their little heist. Yeah. But I think I don't even know if that would be possible uh, or like how this movie would look mm. uh, through celluloid um, because yeah, so much of it is in, in low light. That's interesting. That's, that's now when I rewatch Meek's Cut Off, which I hope to do before too long, I'm going to key into those nighttime sequences and uh, pay attention. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's interesting. And, to, and we should mention maybe the aspect ratio too. It's it's a little bit boxy. Yeah. It's not, uh, I, can't, I don't know exactly what the, the ratio, but it's it's not a like super wide angle. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know exactly. Choice. It's it's 4-3, I think I yeah, would call I it right. like generically. Yeah. yeah. But I think that, that, that does great like to the world building of... Um, this is like something from uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, like where he talks about like when he's doing a period piece, like the best way to time travel is to use that equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, so like with Inherent Vice and like the master, like they dug out those cameras to make those movies look that way. So they, mm-hmm. and this is something that Fincher did with Mank recently. Mm-hmm. Um, they're trying to like play that like aesthetic look to like help that, help that kind of parody in a way. Yeah. Um, or that, uh, that, that homage. And so I think the four, three aspect of this, um, does a, does does some really great work of like paying homage to like these these older like it it, it, it right off the bat shows you this film isn't going to be um it's not going to be Fast and Furious Five <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, yeah. it's going to be much more contained there's there are things that are restricted um and literally the frame is restricted as well mm-hmm. uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about was the uh just kind of the way the food is is used in this film like. For one thing, mm-hmm. it made me really hungry. Like <laughs> these cakes he's making look delicious, and he, <laughs> he bakes this more elaborate cake later on too. Yeah, they're funnel cakes, right? Yeah, like they the essentially are funnel cake. Yeah, is what it looks okay, like. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so apparently it has milk it in delicious. it. Like I don't know what all, but I was like, I could maybe cook that. But, but yeah, they're fried in oil. <laughs> like like uh, yeah. essentially looks like a funnel cake. Um, but I I love the moment when, and this speaks too to um record you know the quote-unquote villains in this uh having a pretty full humanity and like feeling like real people mm. is that before <laughs> we uh the first time we even meet the captain i think uh or maybe the second i can't remember but before we really understand the dynamic at play he um he's a customer and he comes and tries one and mm-hmm. he has this beautiful line which says i taste london in this cake and you can just see like he <laughs> has this beautiful experience eating this thing uh and, and which speaks to to like why they're so popular among these people who have no other comforts of home and and that sort of thing 
Uh, but yeah, you know, that, that always, I had a, a professor in college who talked about uh, the movie Ratatouille a lot because he loves <laughs> the, the moment. And that he says this is a Proustian moment. So Proust who wrote, or Marcel Proust who wrote mm -hmm. In Search of Lost Time, which I have not read. It's super long, but apparently there's a lot yeah. in that about uh, things triggering memories and nostalgia and, and, and having like emotional connections to things, I think specifically food and, uh, mm -hmm. and Ratatouille. There's a great moment towards the end where this, you know, this, this hard hard-boiled uh food critic who <laughs> never smiles uh tastes this ratatouille and takes them back to their childhood and there's like just like mm -hmm. a, a really beautiful moment so there's your your ratatouille proust moment in here in this movie <laughs> with uh with the captain but... yeah no i since memory is a powerful thing the way these things like get triggered and i and uh yeah i i, I it's really interesting to see and it's something i can relate to um like with uh with this character i am also it's played by toby jones but i'm forgetting his, his character's name um but uh that sense of nostalgia you get like i like being in chicago and being this like a little bit of a, a surrogate uh there are things and like memories and smells and like food i crave like i don't know what i like want to be back in arkansas or like mm -hmm. i'll like have um uh, my grandmother's macaroni and cheese uh <laughs> like i'll bake it at home up here and like it, like it triggers this like thought i had from uh like a visit down to dallas and so about food is like a really powerful thing and since memory in general and like it it yeah i i just it, it, this goes back to the humanism of it all and like how cute mm -hmm. how cute this like uh these observations are mm -hmm. um and oh and i guess like on that like that level i think that another like masterstroke to this movie that we haven't talked about is when lou is chopping wood and we just see cookie stand in the door frame hmm. and he doesn't know what to do with himself for a couple of seconds and then he starts to tidy up yeah yeah <laughs> i, I think that's that such moment, like yeah. a it's so human and it's like when you're at a friend's house and you don't know what to do like they're still cooking or preparing it's like you don't know what to do with your hands like you just mm -hmm. want to help out or do something yeah. I, I just yeah. I, I love that he just grabs a broom and starts sweeping up and i think that again that speaks to his character and his um it's again kind of separating him from the kind of more <laughs> brutish man I, I don't know traditionally Absolutely. you know cleaning the house is not what you think of as a, a masculine character trait um but he's sure. that that doesn't bother him one bit and then in fact it's his first instinct and i think that again just shows uh why he stands out in a good way in this in this society i think that's that's pretty cool yeah yeah and uh, yeah i i I don't know if I have anything to add. I just wanted to say, yeah, emphatically, <laughs> because, yeah, I, I hadn't really considered too much of the, I guess, the compare contrast of masculinity mm -hmm. compared to, like, the community. Um, but I think that, I think uh, what, you're, what you've been talking about this whole time is absolutely baked in and, like, mm -hmm. really important to, to the story. Um, and, yeah, we, we just, and the way it focuses in on these characters, like, of just, like, they, yeah, I, I think there's, again, so much power in the way we focus on them opposed to, focusing on the revenant um mm. and because yeah. like it, it, i think that like there's a real philosophical question of asking is like is that a life worth living mm. yeah, um well. that much struggle and that much pain and despair but the, but the first cow definitely seems like a life worth living you know mm, uh, intimacy and community and um yeah and uh love yeah well i think that's uh, as good a place as any to to end our conversation it has been really good thank you so much connor for coming sounds like we both uh highly My recommend pleasure. this movie yeah yeah i highly recommend this movie uh also check out uh wendy and lucy um i that's on amazon prime i think right now um i didn't know I, I know it is i just watched it last night <laughs> don't know why i hedged but yeah uh, i'd say if if uh, because this one's a little bit longer uh i, I highly recommend it but it might be not be able to speed because this uh, it's a little bit slower mm -hmm. wendy and lucy's like 80 minutes i'd say mm -hmm. and it's got and it's a little bit more approachable if you're mm -hmm. if you're interested in kelly's work but not uh not ready to set aside two hours 
Yeah, I, I'll. That sounds like a wise decision, and and I'll say too, maybe don't start with with Meek's cutoff. Like I I, I appreciate that movie, <laughs> but it it is a little less accessible even than this. I think so. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think this is uh, this is really strong too. This right now is streaming on Showtime. First Cal, uh, if you had that, mm-hmm. uh, but it's also you can rent it anywhere online. Um, all right, well that is First Cal. Uh, thank you again so much, Connor, for being here. So it's been great. Absolute pleasure. I'll have to do it again. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. A big thanks again to Connor Allen Smith for coming on the show. I had a really great time with this one. Check the show notes for links to follow him and his films, as well as a link to the crowdfunding campaign we mentioned for his upcoming feature. And stay tuned for future episodes coming up on the podcast. We're planning to talk about the films Crip Camp, Baccarat, Wolf Walkers, Boy State. There are several others in the pipeline as well. I'm really excited for all of these episodes. And thank you so much for listening to Art House Garage. We've got a few years worth of episodes and you can hear all of those in your podcast app of choice. Our theme music is by composer Paul Hunefeld. Learn more at www.appallingproductions.com and you can find a link in the show notes. If you want to support Art House Garage, leave a rating or review in your podcast app or you can buy an Art House Garage t-shirt at arthousegarage.com shop. Stay in the loop about Arthouse Garage and the films we're covering by subscribing to our email newsletter. That's at arthousegarage.com slash subscribe. You can also email me directly, andrew at arthousegarage.com. And of course, follow on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Just search at Arthouse Garage and all those places or find links in the show notes. And that will do it for this episode. Thank you again so much for listening. And until next time, keep it snob free.